verses that we read this morning. If at all possible, uh, hold your thought and attention on those verses uh, to, uh, as we talk about, sometimes we have to talk about the things we don't like in order to truly see the great things that we truly have. We're talking uh, now in, in Ephes- or Ecclesiastes, we're going into a new section where we talk about uh, these vain problems in life. Vain being that, you know, meaningless. And, and you're saying, wait a minute, how can a problem be meaningless? Uh, and th- we're looking at four specific things that Solomon brings to our attention in this one complete thought. Remember, reminding you that Ecclesiastes is one main thought, and it's meant to be read in that way. And so don't be, uh, so trying to build little thoughts within this main thought is extremely difficult uh, in doing that. And that he's talking about all of life under the sun, everything that he can see under the sun, and under the sun basically tells us that what we see on earth is meaningless. Anytime that actually Solomon gets a little bit encouraging, he talks about things above the sun. And he's talking about the heavenly things, the things that belong to God, what we have in the Lord. So we say vain problems in life because the problems are really vain because they just keep coming And then you look at it, if you look through history, you see these spirals of problems that have never truly been solved. And they just keep coming around and around and around. The one that we're talking about today is oppression. Uh, The other ones that we're going to talk about are rivalry, loneliness, popularity. All of these problems that we face in life are just vain and meaningless because they don't really answer what our true need is, and it doesn't really give us what we really have in the Lord. One author I read, he put it this way. He said these really, in verses 1 through 16 of of, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he called them the rotten steps of the world's ladder of success. (laughs) The rotten steps of the world's ladder of success. You know what I mean? Have you ever grabbed that ladder, the old wooden ladder, yanked it out and going to step on it, and the first thing you do is the first rung, you just go right through the rung. It breaks. And then you, you look with a kind of suspicious eye at the next rung. Do I dare step on it? You know, you shake, kind of move the ladder around. You're like, okay, I'm going to try it, and the next one breaks. You know, how many of you have tried the third one? <laughs> by that time I'm usually looking for more wood that I can try to nail on that ladder right and as you nail and, and as I get and I'm like oh I'm just going to go find some more wood and I go get more wood and I start nailing it only to find that when I put my foot on it the actual side beams are just as rotten as you know the, the steps on the ladder that's the problems that we are facing that Solomon is bringing to mind as he looks at everything under the sun. 
The illustration as we think about uh, this idea of all these vain problems in life, uh, I was thinking about a game, and maybe you've heard of this game. It was called Sorry. You know the game I'm talking about? Um, uh, there's other different variations of that game, and they don't call it Sorry, I think for good reason. But you know the object of the game. You, you are trying to get ahead in the game by knocking other people off of the board and back to start. And you're trying to send them back to the home base, and you step on one another to get to the top. It's basically cutthroat, right? All for one, and none for all. That's right. And so, uh, and, the, and the name is sorry, and, and when you hit the guy off the board and you send him back to home, you say, sorry. <laughs> Right? But it's not with, oh, I'm sorry. It's an ecstatic, sorry. <laughs> right? I don't understand why it's named sorry because no one is. If you win, you're not truly sorry. But really, if we look at life, it's kind of the same concept. You look at all the businesses in the world, the reality is, is you're, you've got to be better than someone else. And in order to do that, you've, you've got to get ahead in, in a way. Many businesses, they step on one another, trying to claw ahead in life. Credit card companies, they, they figure out ways, you know, they're great, you know, they spend most of their advertisement for credit cards are aimed at a singular group of people. College students, right? And, and they focus all of this and try to entrap them and snare them and say, you really need these other things, so we will help you get them. And then you become enslaved to the credit card companies. Everybody is in this idea of getting ahead, stepping on one another, and basically, we see the concept of oppression. Let's read God's Word together and then ask God to bless it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, again, God is above all things. Chapter 3, God is in control of all things. The beautiful thing is He's above all time, but He's also in time, in control of it, because He's over it. And we see that it affects everything under the sun. And all of this is the fact that the reality is, is finding joy in the Lord is the best that we can do rather than looking at the things in the world. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Solomon shares this insight and God gives us these words reading in verses 1 through 3. He says, again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and who has not seen the evil deeds that are done 
under the sun. Wow. Not very encouraging verses, are they? Well, let's ask God to give us his thoughts and see what Solomon was talking about as we look at these insights in the area of oppression. Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your complete word. As you have told us in the Psalms, in Psalm 119, that the whole sum of your word is truth. Thank you that as we read these verses, that the story or the truth about our life and the truth about you is not just written solely in three verses, but it is in the sum of the entirety of all of your word that we find your truth. Pray that it would use, that you would use your spirit to lead us in the things that we are familiar with and the things that we do not yet understand. But in the ultimate joy, may we desire you and to know you more and that your love for us may abound more and more in our understanding and that we would in turn love you more and more as we study your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at the things of life are toppled over, we are looking at Solomon's insights in these areas. And the first one that we see is that oppression is everywhere. Again, I saw all oppression, he says in verse 1, that are done under the sun. You think about all the things that Solomon experienced If you actually study the life of Solomon, you'll know that by the end of his life, he too becomes an oppressor. We know that in the end of, as he's writing here, in the context, he's writing from all of those experiences. Not only does he understand and he see everybody and the tears of all those who've been oppressed, but he has also experienced what it was like to be the oppressor. He looked under the sun and as he looked around the things of the world and as the world came to him as they sought wisdom from Solomon and they brought Solomon gifts and as Israel grew and and the fame of Solomon grew and we know through history that he was sought after. He saw all the different kingdoms of the world. You can imagine all the activities that he saw all the activities he participated in. And you realize that he understood what an oppressor is and was. Oppression, you know, is that ego-driven guy or woman who wants to dominate. The top dog, the head dog, the, the running roughshod over people. The poor and downtrodden and the heartbroken are oppressed because of the one that is over. Paul talks about this idea and this thought in Colossians 4 verse 1 when he says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. He's he's begging masters to think about the fact that they too themselves are just but slaves and that they also too have a master. 
Therefore, be careful how they lord over one another. We all desire that type of master. We, we desire, we, we critique our bosses, we complain about our bosses, or we praise our bosses. But far often we talk and we think about in our life, if only I had this at work, it would be better. We know we think about oppression many times in our life. In fact, it's, it's amazing, but Peter counsels, counsels us, if you read through 1 Peter, and you remember we talked about the gospel in the life of the church, and, and as Peter reminds us to submit to unfair treatment in the book of 1 Peter, that's how we focus on living a life of eternity versus living a life under the unjust oppression under the sun. That was Peter's point. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 9, Solomon gives us a great example of the oppressor. In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 9, he said this, and again, it's probably, you know it's because of what he saw and it's what he experienced. He says, all this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Talking about the oppressor, the one that has exercised authority over someone to the point of hurt or hurting, lording over, oppression, pushing down. The second thing that we see is not only that oppression is everywhere, but that oppression enslaves both groups to a life of misery. It's not a typo, by the way. Did you, as you heard and as you read in Scripture in, in Ecclesiastes 4, did you stop and say, wait a minute, did that grab your attention? He said he saw oppression that is under the sun, but listen to this next statement. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. The oppressed are tears. In fact, the Hebrew form of tears that he's describing is not just the pain of experiencing pain, but the tears of depression. And they had no one to comfort them. But listen to what he says next. On the side of the oppressors, there was power. Basically, it's the concept, the Hebrew concept there was a, is that the oppressors found a way that the, the power that God has given us to live life, that pe- powerful people or people found that power and they use it in life to press down others. They find the good of life that was given by God and they use it in a way to oppress others. But listen to what Solomon saw next. And... There was no one to comfort them. Lest you be worried and get stuck in this thought and and you're like, I have to fight for the oppressed. We have to, to knock down the oppressors because there's no comfort. Those that are being oppressed, they don't have comfort. Well, Solomon saw it all and he said, guess what? The oppressors have no comfort as well. I I hope that helps you to understand something about the life that we live in the world. Here is the vanity of the problem. You can try to fix the problem and yet still 
that even in fixing the problem, no one has comfort, whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed. There isn't comfort in fixing the problem. You know, it's amazing as we see this concept, you think, well, what is Solomon talking about? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and talking about uh, what uh, one of the churches and that we see the style and the things going on and the problems in one of the churches that God talks about in Revelation. He said in Revelation 3.17, he says, You say that I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. He's talking about this church that says, Hey, we have everything. And, of course, and we see this and he says, And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, you may feel like you have everything and yet you have nothing. There is both a life of misery demanding no matter who you are. The third observation we see is that oppression makes death and non-existent look better than life. This is the true reality that we see right now. No matter how you fall and believe about all the pandemic, all of the things, all the political, you can focus on all that you want. And we've seen the number one killer has become suicide. All it's done is brought to the forefront. The real reality is it doesn't matter who you are. You still come to this point, no matter how wealthy, no matter whether you have power or you don't have power, this suicide rate, by the way, has not just, it's not been a factor of the oppressed, it's also been in, the numbers are rising in those that have money. It's not, the misery is the same. Solomon, by the way, is not using, uh, he's not making a statement saying that suicide is the answer. This is a hyperbole. This is an exaggeration saying, man, this is how utterly vain life truly is. You know, it'd be interesting if you study the life of a CEO of many of the Fortune 500 companies those that have climbed to the top of the the rotten ladder of life. And you'll find a lot of visits to the hospital. You'll find a lot of people that take medicine, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of stress. You'll find a lot of people that are miserable. By the way, Certainly, it's possible to get to the top in life, but only by the grace of God. Think about it. Think about Joseph in Egypt. Think about Daniel. Or how about Mordecai in in the book of Esther? Solomon's commentary indicates to me that the fast track of the world has a lot of common ruts that are very difficult to avoid. You know what, though? 
all of this helps us to realize that these problems are just vain. How many of us get fixated on these, the problem of oppression and we really stop and re- forget the real conclusion of the whole matter? And we forget that God has a tremendous heart, a tender heart for the oppressed. By the way, He also has the answer for your troubled conscience if you are an oppressor. The conclusion of all of this is that in the vanity of the problem we see rise above what transcends the problem is the glory of the answer. The majestic love and tender heart of the Lord. By the way, the conclusion of the whole matter is this, the good guys don't always win, you know? By the way, if, if you try to, right, if the good guy many times in business gets stepped on, taken advantage of, the good guy on the team many times gets taken advantage of and stepped on. It's funny, I was, many of my sports teams, I was called the pre, I was called preacher boy. I think it started about 11 years old, all the way, I was always called preacher boy. And it sounds like that would be great. But I was also many times taken advantage of. <laughs> Good guys don't always win. This is the idea. Life in this world will always be filled with difficulty. You can try to solve all these problems, and yet you'll still there's still misery will exist, problems and oppression will still exist. But turn to John chapter 14 and verse 16. By the way, if you want to see the tender Write in your notes, John 17. Just read Jesus' prayer for the ones that he would leave behind in this world. If you read the first part of John 14, he says, you know that I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? Thomas is like, no, I don't. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. He's like, tell us some more. John 14 and verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another comforter. You know, it's the same word that's transposed from the Hebrew to the Greek. Solomon looked in all the world and what did he find? That everybody had, whether you're the oppressed or whether you're the oppressor, there's no comfort. But Jesus said, I will ask for those that have put their faith and trust in Christ, for those who have been adopted into the family of God, his followers, his disciples. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another comforter. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides in you and He will be with you. 
The world does not know comfort. But we can because of the work of Christ on the cross for us when he died and when he rose again and paid our unpayable debt and he became our stand-in. We love grace and we love to enjoy things that we don't deserve and many in this world are enjoying things that they don't deserve not because God has just lavished it upon this world. They don't have comfort because they do not have the Spirit of God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit to comfort us. We have something that the world does not understand. Don't take this... Understand that when Solomon and all of his wealth and all of his experience, all of his pleasure, all of everything that he could see under the world and he saw that there was no comfort. But God in his tender mercies and his riches, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that we might know comfort. Not just know comfort, but experience comfort. Whatever the difficulty, whatever the grief, whatever the affliction, whatever the situation, we have God's help immediately available as Christ's slave. As we are chained to Christ, we have the comforter. We are not oppressed, but enabled to experience in our tears the comfort of Christ. As we go through pain and we go through suffering, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. But don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore Him. The more you ignore Him, God tells us, the more we do not experience Him. The more we push Him aside for the things of the world, the more we do not enjoy the presence of being led by the Spirit. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us God's perspective and wisdom. Literally, the Holy Spirit gives us God's perspective. I love this when it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in verse 26 of John 14 again, he says, will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit gives us God's perspective of things. The Holy Spirit gives us God's wisdom of things. Right, James? Ask God for wisdom and He will give it to you liberally. But don't only ask for your own selfish desires, but ask according to the will of God. If we are led by the Spirit, He will provide the unfathomable riches and the tender mercies of God's perspective and wisdom on things. Why are we experiencing the oppression and the persecution? Why will it come in the days to come? We are going to experience more and more. Why? The world does not love God. Why should they love us? If we belong to God, as we learned this morning in Sunday school, we are just living in enemy territory, right? The church is just a foxhole for us to pray and worship and praise God for the life that we have and will have for eternity. 
because He won the victory, even though we are still behind enemy lines. The battle has already been won. It's in, a, in effect, I think, of all those that were in, in camps during World War II, and the battle was already won, but it was years later that they were released. We think of the Vietnam War, those that even today, there are still those that never made it out of captivity. But one day Christ will return and release all the captives free. He has already done that by paying for our sin and saving us. He's adopted us into His family. God's perspective, God's gospel, God's wisdom, and what He's done for us is unfathomable, the riches to behold in the good news of the gospel. By the way, you know what the Holy Spirit does too? It doesn't just give us comfort, but it equips us to be able to comfort others. God doesn't just give you comfort just for you. He also gives you comfort to comfort others. Turn to 2 Corinthians. That's why we hear of all this oppression and, and we get so fixated on the oppression that we forget that we have joy in the Spirit. Victory has been won. That's what's so beautiful about I have a mansion on a hilltop. God has prepared something far greater than I could ever imagine. He has already gone to prepare a place for me. It's a done deal. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. There is no comfort in anything else. God equips us to comfort. And he says, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Did you see that word, by the way? He is the God of all. So no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're seeing, no matter what you're experiencing, God is the comfort. He is the answer. Not only is that, but he also gives you the ability to comfort anyone in any circumstance. Guys, the gospel is rich. Don't underestimate the good news of what God has done for you. Our calling is not to oppress others. Our calling is not to make oppression right. God has already done that through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. But to be servant to others. The oppressed today are hurting just like the, the oppressors are hurting today just like those who are being oppressed. They do not have the answers to this world. They do not have comfort. Share the gospel. Guys, Satan is scheming. He wants us to get away from God's comfort. He wants you to say, we need to fix all oppression. Come on, rally around the cause. It's great. But there's no gospel there. God is the God of all comfort. We need to rally around the gospel and say, the victory has been won. 
Have you heard about your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? God has already fixed. You know, one of the easiest ways to discourage the church is to get the church to be political. To get the church to be reactionary. The answer is always simply go back to the root of our problem in sin and realize the greatness of the gospel. But to be a servant to others, as we serve others with the gospel, we see glad tidings, we see great things happen that are out of our control, we see God meet the needs of others as we serve God and as we serve others. Or let's put it this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart so we can love others as God has loved us. The question is, is what can we do to serve others, especially at our jobs, especially at our schools, especially at our homes? This is what I want us to remember today. By the grace of God, the persecuted church finds vindication and victory through living for eternity. Are you living for eternity? Or are you living for now? Live for eternity. It'll bring comfort. Are you, that's the question. Maintaining commendable conduct that others will see your good conduct and they will glorify your Father that is in heaven. And accepting suffering as the will of God as they do not, as the world does not love Him, they do not love us. I went back and I was thinking about what Paul was saying as a hero of mine and I was telling the Sunday school, I love Paul because anybody that can be beat up and thrown out of the city, left for dead, and then just wake up and say, that was great, let's go do it again. They need the gospel. He knows what it's like to be oppressed. And yet the thing that he ran back to over and over and over again was to speak the gospel. And he said to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 13, he gives us these great section as he talks to the church and think about what God is telling us. In verse 13, he said, but we ought to always to give thanks to God for you. And he's talking to the church and he's saying, man, as, as, as the apostle, as a, as a teacher, as giving the word of God, we always ought to give thanks for God. Brothers, beloved, by the Lord, because God chose us as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, by the power of the gospel, you've been saved, he says. So we ought to give thanks. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called by the gospel to attain that which is glorious been bought by Christ. 
What, so we, what do we say about that? Verse 15, it says, So then, brothers, stand firm. If you were in Sunday school, there's that term again, stand firm. And hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by the letter. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. When we were saved, God loved us beyond measure. And He gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Now look at verse 17. He says, Comfort so that through grace to comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. God, through the gospel, has given us eternal comfort so that way our hearts can be comforted as we do every one of God's good work and as we share the word. He has given us comfort to do that. Right? So we can live in and behind each enemy lines and have comfort. We can have peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts, our emotions, and to guard our thinking, our mind, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul didn't stop there with the blessings of comfort that we got in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, but he went on and to tell the church in chapter 2 and verse 14 of 2 Corinthians, he said, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. He won the victory and now he's parading. We get a parade. We're, he's leading us in this great parade of victory that he has defeated sin once and for all. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. We become this perfume that parades around for others to smell. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To others, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to do this, to be the aroma of God? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. We're not just going around peddling God's word to make a profit or to gain something. But as men of sincerity said, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. As you see the oppression of the world, are you getting stuck? Are you getting stuck in the scheme in a viewpoint that's under the sun and earthly? If so, turn your gaze back to Christ. Let Him lead you in the victory processional. That it might be a sweet-smelling aroma to those around us and see the sweet comfort in which you've been comforted so that way we can comfort others. For some, it's going to be the smell of death. They can't get over the fact that they need to submit their life to Christ, die to themselves, so that they might live for eternity with God. They're going to struggle with that idea. 
But you know what? Those that are around that are struggling, there are many. As I smile and, they, and I said, I, I, I'm smiling, you may not be able to see it as I walk into the store. And they say, no, I can see your eyes. They, you got lots of crow's feet. <laughs> You're a happy guy. I'm like, yeah, God has made me that way. And they're like, it's been really hard and difficult. And I say, yes, but God has comforted us through all of these things. If you want to remember how much comfort God has given you, go back to the gospel. Remember what you were dead to life, but made alive to God that you might experience His eternal comfort forever. Start there and let the tears and maybe the smiles wash over you that you might comfort those that are around you. We have a mission. We have a mission to be salt and light, but also to be a sweet-smelling aroma. Right? Good barbecue always attracts a lot of people. <laughs> and it's usually not by sight, but by smell. Yeah. What, what are you? Don't focus on the oppression. Focus on the comfort in which you've been comforted. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for this eternal joy the work that you did on the cross. Lord, you said that there is no way to heaven, there's no way to experience any comfort, any peace, any joy in this world except through the perfect sacrifice that you gave us on the cross, that perfect gift, the gift of life. You reached out and snatched us from the jaws of death Lord, he said, all who sin have earned death. We are imperfect. We are in need of a Savior. All of our works are still tainted by our sin. No matter how good they are, they're still filthy. There is no hope except through the gift. But you had mercy on us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You paid your payment was a perfect sacrifice a holy sacrifice a complete sacrifice once and for all and that was the work on the cross jesus you paid it all the call is of submission that we might submit our lives to you lord i pray that everyone here has done that those that are listening and watching that they'd respond to your call. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That you realize that you need a Savior. For the rest of us, I pray that we would stay and stand firm in that calling in the gospel and that we would not neglect the good news in which you, did, you used to save us from our sin. That you rose again to give us life, life eternal. Thank you that you've become our advocate. 
You've become our advocate on our behalf, our great comforter. To lead us, to guide us, to bring us to a place of comfort and joy and peace. May we have that eternal perspective and enjoy the blessings of the gift that you have given us when you died on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.